0: You find weird things up in those mountains. You know, it, it's not uncommon to find an old Spanish mine shaft. My granddad had a lot of places that he showed my dad with Spanish writing and signs on trees.
1: That's Nate Davidson and Chris Hamilton Iamoni talking about some of the strange things they've seen in the Uinta Mountains.
0: Sometimes you just you stumble upon those things when you're walking around hunting or hiking and you just... It kind of blows your mind when you find it.
1: Like a lot of people in Wyoming's Bridger Valley, I'd also heard the legends and stories that Spanish miners had found gold in the nearby Uintas. At first, I didn't really believe them or give much thought to them, especially when the stories were accompanied by the mother of all Uinta gold legends, the Lost Roads Mine.
0: Supposedly, the Lost Roads Mine and other mines of that type were in that area.
1: The Rhodes Mine is a legendary lost mine that was supposedly so full of gold or treasure or both that it could have paid off the national debt back in the 1800s, around the time it is believed to have been shown to a Mormon pioneer. It wasn't until I actually started to do more research about these stories of Spanish gold and a man named Thomas Rhodes that I found out that one of the ill-fated expeditions to find that mine was distantly connected to a guy who I had known since 2015. I
0: come from a, a background of, of people who've spent a lot of time in the mountains. Nate
1: Davidson there is the great, 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 great grandson of a man who barely made it out of the Uentes with his life when gold or fool's gold was found by the party
0: he was with and a gunfight started. To my ancestors, I think they, they look at that as a very unsavory experience to have had. It's too bad we lost that to history.
1: On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every
0: Day, in which we interview everyday people about things
1: that don't normally happen every day, I try to help Nate uncover part of his family history that many of them didn't talk about for a long time, involving gold, Mormon pioneers, remote places in the Uintas, a man claiming to be psychic, and even men who might have been former members of Butch Cassidy's gang. Before I start the show today, I freely admit that a lot of this information does come from legends and oral histories, and a lot of it was hard to verify. I also want to remind all of the listeners for reasons that will become even more clear if you do plan to hunt for gold somewhere, you need to obtain permission from whoever owns the land and take care of everything that you're supposed to. That's Nate's great 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 grandfather, Amacy Alonzo Davidson, singing a Danish children's song. His name is actually spelled Amasa, but family members say it was pronounced Amacy. Amassi. Amacy's grandfather had left Denmark in the 1800s and moved to Utah. Eventually, Amacy moved to the Bridger Valley of Wyoming, where the north slope of the Uinta Mountains begin. He was a schoolteacher there in 1920. When a man claiming to be from Pennsylvania showed up in the Bridger Valley, calling himself Caleb Blandreth. he wanted Amosy to go on a gold hunting trip in which Amosy would test any samples of ore they got.
0: He was hired or brought along to evaluate the gold itself and to, you know, determine uh, its value or its, you know, what the consistency of the of the mineral itself was. Before
1: I go any further with Amesee's story about going into the Uintas, we have to go back in time to what the Uintas and this part of the West looked like years before. The Uinta Mountains are a massive range that run along the Wyoming-Utah border, and being that they're closer to Canada than Mexico or any of the U.S. states usually associated with Spanish settlements, I initially blew off the rumors about Spanish miners and all of that, but then I started to do more research. In 1776, while the United States was being formed over on the East Coast, the Dominguez-Escalante expedition left Santa Fe, New Mexico, hoping to find a different route to missions in California. The expedition ended up going through what is now Duchesne, Utah, which is only about 25 miles south of the base of the Uinta Mountains, and only about 75 miles south of the Bridger Valley up in Wyoming, where Amesee would one day go to live. Both of these distances are as a crow flies, though, not necessarily the actual miles it would take to drive to these places. Both Spain and then Mexico claimed what is today Utah and parts of southwest Wyoming until the end of the Mexican-American War in 1848. Most sources say that both countries had a pretty limited involvement or presence there, but a 2005 article from the Deseret News said that the Spanish did have a mission in Utah, just south of the Uintas, until as late as 1844. It's from here that things get a little more interesting. What I'm about to share comes from three books, Footprints in the Wilderness, A History of the Lost Roads Mine by Gail Rhodes and Kerry Ross Boren, Faded Footprints, the Lost Roads Mines and Other Hidden Treasures of the Uintas by George A. Thompson, And finally, The Gold of Carrie Chino by Carrie Ross Boren and Lisa Lee Boren. In a nutshell, all three of the books say that there were Spanish mines in the Uintas. They contain lots of pictures of possible Spanish tree carvings, possible Spanish mines, and even smelters built out of rocks. In some cases, though, you have to wonder if these photos are of actual Spanish mines or just other mines done by other people. There are also photos of Spanish digging tools, Spanish swords, Spanish armor... But again, the photos don't necessarily show these items in the mines or directly connected to the mines. One photo that definitely left an impression on me was in Thompson's book. It shows a gold bar with what looks like a Teutonic cross or some sort of European cross that had been melted into the bar, and the book identifies it as having been found in the Uintas. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if there were Spanish mines up in the Uintas, But I don't believe every mine you see up there was necessarily made by the Spanish, and none of the books state that either. I think one of the more interesting questions is honestly, how rich or not rich are some of these mines? In any case, around the time that Mexico lost its claim on the area now known as Utah, Mormon pioneers arrived in the Salt Lake Valley, just to the west of the Uintas, and this is where the legend of the Lost Roads mine started. Thomas Rhodes was a Kentuckian who joined the LDS, or sometimes called Mormon, Church in 1835 in Illinois or Missouri. Over in Utah in 1852, a Ute chief named Wakara, sometimes called Chief Walker, had also converted to the LDS faith at some point in time, and he brokered a deal with LDS leader Brigham Young and the trusted Thomas Rhodes that he would show Rhodes, and only Rhodes, where a massive amount of gold was in the Uinta Mountains, and that the gold could be used to help the growing church. Some people have even said that the gold was used on the statue of the Angel Moroni on top of the Salt Lake Temple, and also for more practical matters, as the church began to turn out gold coins, 4,000 of them, until 1861. Many believe Thomas Rhodes' lost mine is what the Borans call in their book, Cary Chanob." I hope I'm saying that right, a sacred mine where several natives and Spaniards are buried in chambers as big as multi-story houses with multiple tunnels and vast amounts of gold. Many believe Rhodes not only had access to this mine to help his church, but possibly several other mines that didn't have the notoriety or apparent sacredness. Some say he might have found these mines after he discovered a map among a group of Mexican miners who had been killed by natives. I do want to point out that I have not found any official statements from any of the past or current leadership of the LDS Church confirming or denying this story about gold given to Mormon pioneers by Chief Wakara. Regardless of how many mines might have been or still are in the Uintas, this is where we go back to that story about Amosy Alonzo Davidson over in southwest Wyoming in 1920. When I started this project, I put out feelers for anyone who knew anything about Amosy, and found out that Nate, this guy I'd sort of known
0: for years, is one of his descendants. We kind of look back on these times as the, the golden days where anything could happen, anything, anybody could get rich with a single uh, discovery of gold. I bring a copy of Rhodes and Boren's Footprints in the Wilderness over to Nate's house
1: and share what it says about his great-great-great-great-grandfather. No, I've never heard the whole thing. Like I had said, the man claiming to be from Pennsylvania, Landreth, really wanted Amesee
0: to go with him up into the mountains. However, Amesee didn't want to go. Landreth, he basically said he knew where this gold was because he had had a vision of, of sorts. <clears throat> like, he he could picture the spot clearly in his mind on this mountain where, where these where this gold was. And so he felt like he could go right to it. This weird premise
1: for a gold hunt might have been part of the reason why Amacy didn't want to go up into the mountains. But also the fact that Landreth had invited 11 other men to come, and according to the authors Rhodes and Boren, he really didn't like the look of them. In fact, it's believed that some of the men who had been recruited on this expedition had been known members of Butch Cassidy's gang, the Wild Bunch, it's unclear if Amesy actually knew about these guys' history, or if they just came off like outlaws and he didn't feel comfortable around them. Landreth wanted Amesy to go so bad that he approached him again, this time without his entourage of possible former outlaws, and handed Amesy a deck of sealed playing cards, instructing him to break the seal. According to Ross and Boren, Landreth told Amesy that hearts and diamonds were good omens of love and riches, while spades and clubs were trouble. Amessi and his wife drew 12 cards, and all of them came up as hearts and diamonds. If this whole thing sounds weird to you, it sounds weird to me too. It's possible that this thing with the cards never happened, and that what really happened was this large gang of men was on Amessi's mind, and perhaps when Landreth approached him again, he told him it would be to his benefit and his safety, as well as that of his family, to go with these guys. That is just speculation on my part, though. The Rhodes and Boren book said that Amesee requested to go unarmed, which, even now, most people, if they were going up into the mountains with a big group of people they didn't trust, probably wouldn't waive the option to have a gun. Maybe Amassy knew about the past of these guys, but thought that if he didn't have a gun while he was out with them, he would appear as innocent, perhaps being coerced to go in the first place. It's also possible that maybe he wanted to have a gun, but was told by Landrith and the other guys not to bring one. I really don't know.
0: But I know Amacy was apprehensive about going, and reluctantly went along anyway. The weirdness about Landrith
1: continued on into the next day when Amacy showed up to ride out with these guys, and Landrith insisted on being blindfolded. He drew a map, added an X to it, and said that would be where they'd camp, and that a deceased Indian princess, known as Raven Camp, was guiding them. The group traveled southwest to Fort Bridger, and then on into Utah. They made camp at the spot where Lundreth had marked an X on the map, and found good fishing and feed for their horses. Something else that was creepy was that Landreth was said to be able to look at members of his group and tell things about them that no one else knew. Apparently he even said that one of the men with them had killed a child, cut up the child, and put the little boy or girl in a barrel. I don't even know what to say about that, but we'll talk about that more in a minute. The next morning, Landreth repeated the blindfold ritual and drew another map, saying that around sunset they would reach an old cabin. They headed further south, and sure enough, they came upon a cabin. Amassy even had a camera with him and took a picture of the old cabin. In looking at the route into the Uintas, the photos that Amesee took, and the information in Rhodes and Boren's book, the place where this cabin was, or possibly still is, does correlate with a location you can still find on maps of northeastern Utah. According to Rhodes and Boren's book, that night, Amesee had a growing sense of unease. And the next morning, after breakfast, Landrith announced that the spirit of Camp wanted him to start a church using all the gold they found. This went against the previously agreed upon idea of completely equal shares. However, Landritha was permitted to put on his blindfold, and this time he couldn't apparently get inspiration on where to look for the gold at that spot. So everyone just set out looking for the gold without help from Ravencamp or anybody. However, Amacy and two other Bridger Valley men were told to stay in camp, and one of these possible outlaws was left behind to guard them to make sure they didn't leave. Apparently, over the course of the day, alone with his three captives, this unknown possible outlaw began to feel bad, and he even gave Amacy one of his pistols. When the treasure hunters returned, they told the party leader that they hadn't found anything, but one of the group insisted on searching them, which resulted in a treasure hunter being shot. Gold was found on the wounded treasure hunter, but when the bleeding man was asked where he found it, he swore at them and then was shot again, this time fatally. It would seem to be horrible judgment to shoot someone who just said they found this mine that is incredibly hard to find, but according to the book, that's what happened. Amessi was ordered to test that gold that had been found, but said his findings indicated it was fool's gold. It's unclear if it really was fool's gold or if maybe he said it was fool's gold because the other members of the party would be less likely to kill him if there was no real value in what was up there and no need for secrecy or having to split shares or anything like that. However, the group was suspicious of his finding and wanted to shoot him next, but The men who wanted to shoot him were shot by other members of the party. With the firefight breaking out, Amacy was able to escape along with the other men from the Bridger Valley. They eventually made it home, I think on foot, and the third man who was with them, he was the camp cook. He actually
0: died eventually from a gunshot wound to his groin that had occurred that day. My ancestor Amacy, I I know he he lived to tell about it and, and found his way back to town but never really spoke about it again, and it was, it was looked at as a point of um, he, w- he felt ashamed that he had taken part in that, you know, in that expedition. The, the, the puzzling part or the, the great mystery of it is I don't think anyone ever realized or remembers or wants to talk about at least where those gold nuggets went.
1: The rhodes book says that the nugget that might have been fool's gold ended up at the University of Wyoming's mining school. As of this recording, an email from the University of Wyoming's geology department said that their mining school closed some time ago and that if they do find that nugget, they'll let me know. So who was the benevolent outlaw that had something of a change of heart and gave Amacy a pistol that helped him survive?
0: Because I thought it was the Warners, as in Matt Warner. <clears throat> you know, they were involved with Butch around that same time.
1: The rhodes born account of the incident states that years later, was saw an obituary for Matt Warner, complete with a picture. He recognized the outlaw who had given him the pistol that had saved his life. Even Amassy's kids, who said that he never wanted to talk much about what had happened, said they'd seen the pistol and had made it a point to go down to Utah to give it to Warner's surviving relatives. I can't find any more information about what happened to Landreth, the guy who started this whole thing, And one of the pictures Amesee took, most likely the day before the shootout, there's a guy standing by a lakeshore, identified as Landreth, but his back is turned, and it's from a fair distance. Kerry Ross Boren, the co-author of two of the books I mentioned earlier, told me through emails that he believes Landreth was in fact Harry Longabaugh, the Sundance kid who was part of Butch Cassidy's gang. Most people believe both Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were killed in Bolivia some years before this ever occurred, but some people believe one or both of them might not have died down there, and even returned to the United States. If Landrith was Longaba, the Sundance Kid, he would have been about fifty three at the time of the shootout in the Uintas. Given that members of the Wild Bunch often went through the Uintas towards Brown's Park and knew a lot of people in the Uintas and the surrounding area. I wonder if Longabaugh, if he even really was Landreth, had heard about there being gold up in that area. Boren added that members of the Wild Bunch had served as hired security for other searchers for the Lost Roads Mine, which would add to the possibility of some of them having prior knowledge of where gold might be in the Uintas. I also wonder if some of the knowledge he was supposed to have had about the bad things some of the guys in this group had done might have been things he had heard about them from other outlaws because of the company he kept. One possibility is that Longaba or whoever Landreth was, once they arrived at that place where the cabin was, said simply that Princess Raven camp wasn't going to help anymore and used the help of these guys to scour the mountains in an attempt to find gold.
0: It seems like he had planned to go up in there, get as many people as he could to help him find it, You know, spreading a wider net. And then upon finding it, he probably hoped to assassinate or leave behind as many of them as he could. In
1: 1989, Lee Davidson, a grandson of Amosy, who was also a journalist, wrote an article in the Deseret News about what happened after the shootout. Outlaws came to Amosy's ranch and tried to dig things up, but they were run off by Amosy and his brother. Later, Amosy's wife and son were also apparently shot at while working in their garden. And after that, Amosy accepted a job in Idaho and took his family. Even till
0: his... Last days, he didn't want to talk about this story. He didn't want to talk about this experience. It was looked at as a point of shame.
1: So, is
0: there gold in the
1: Uintas? And if so, why hasn't it been found? Last spring, a Bridger Valley local told me when he was panning for gold in the Uintas, he heard the sound of a gunshot over his head. After getting back into the tree line and then making it to his truck, he went to see who else was in the area, but couldn't find anyone or their vehicles. All three of the books used for this podcast mention people who were never seen again in the Uintas after looking for gold, even referring to them at times as the Killer Mountains. Some people have even said that Native Americans used to, or perhaps still do, watch over and guard Carrie Chinope because they believe it is sacred. And some of the older accounts of people searching for the mine in that area have said Native people approached them and told them to leave. Perhaps anymore, one of the more practical reasons why we don't seem to know if gold has been found or not is because most of the Uintas are on federal lands, tribal lands. A lot of different people are responsible for that area. For anybody that might be thinking about going up there and looking for gold, I'd like to point out a 1996 Deseret News article about two men who went up into the Uintas or that area and were arrested for trespassing on tribal land. Not only did they trespass, but they pumped six feet of water out of a creek in their attempts to find gold. The article doesn't say if they were convicted, but it did point out that what they were being charged with could carry fines and even jail time. So I'm asking anybody that's interested in going up into the Uintas to look for gold to please contact whoever administrates the land in that area and make sure you fill out all the forms and obtain all of the necessary permissions and permits and whatever you might need. Before you do anything that could get you in trouble or hurt the resources. Despite the menacing stories and tales of tragedy that have surrounded the Uintas and people looking for gold, I still really wanted to go to that spot where the shootout happened. Not to try to dig for gold or anything, but just to see it and feel what it would be like to be there. But I ran out of time on my last visit to the Bridger Valley when I was working on this. In that article by Lee Davidson from 1989, he talks about a visit to the site. Using a crude map that MSC had drawn years before his death, Lee took his father and a photographer to that location. They found a sulfur mine and modern structures made from notched logs that might have been repurposed from the cabin that was once there. Davidson said he found sulfur,
0: copper, and some fool's gold, but no real gold. Davidson history had kind of lost this story. And unfortunately, I don't think there's enough details there to piece together more than what you have in these books. In the end, with a history that no one wanted to
1: talk about, and a lot of questions, and no gold, what are the Davidsons
0: left to hold on to? My grandpa, Alan Davidson, he longed for a life that was more adventurous. You know, he he did a lot of metal detecting and a lot of hiking and hunting in those particular mountains, and it was his favorite hobby till the day he died. And that's something that kind of stuck with me about him. I know that this is maudlin and a
1: little corny, but maybe... It's getting to be in the mountains that's as close to treasure as what most of us are going to get. I'm pretty sure that even after everything that happened to Emissy up there, he still loved those mountains. And here's why I think that. This is a poem that he wrote and recited not long, probably, before he passed away.
0: You say I've not lived. Well, maybe you're right. But I've seen the stars and the rockies at night. I felt the wind of the desert through a soft, gentle breeze. Heard the roar of the storm to the narrow mountain trees, with my wife and my children around me, I know what it means to care. Dreams, large and small, I've always been willing to share.
1: I want to thank Nate Davidson and Chris Hamilton Ayamoni for being on the show today. I've cited all of the books and other sources I've used for this show in the show's description today. Again, if you do for some reason go into the Uintas to look for gold, please make sure to talk to all of the necessary agencies or groups or private parties that you need to get permission from. If a man approaches you saying he has a dream about where you can find gold in the Uintas or anywhere, maybe just say no, especially if he pulls out a deck of cards. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone. And I hope to have another one to you in about two weeks.